We turn in God's Word this morning to the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, Mark chapter 10. As you're turning to that, let me also uh, make sure that you as a congregation are aware that uh, uh, the Tomes family invites us uh, afterwards uh, for a time of fellowship to uh, celebrate with them, cake and ice cream uh, in the church gym. And uh, I think Dave and Shelley, rather than greeting in the back, if you'd greet at the far gym doors over there, might uh, help process things a little bit better for you as well. So uh, we certainly thank you for your generosity in that as well. We're reading uh, this morning verses 13 through 16 of God's Word, Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16. For those of you who are visiting, we're making our way through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, last Lord's Day evening, I preached on this passage as well, but was dealing with a pretty severe cold and whatever else was going on uh, that night, and actually only made it through part one, which in God's providence uh, probably works out well with a baptism Sunday that we're still in this passage. Mark chapter 10, verse 13, and they were bringing children to him, that is Jesus, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's again bow in prayer. Father, as we have read your word, we pray for your blessing upon the preaching and proclamation of this word as well. That your spirit may go forth with power and might. And that, Lord, you would uh, anoint these words spoken with uh, your spirit's work. And that, Father, in it all, your name would be the one honored and glorified and praised. The glory of our Lord and Savior, we pray. And God's people say, Amen. So last Sunday evening, we dealt with point number one, which was the freedom. Pointing out that in this passage, they were bringing children to Jesus. Their children. And the fact that these parents felt the freedom to do so. They felt that Jesus was approachable. They felt that Jesus was, was going to honor their request that their children be blessed. And we pointed out last Sunday evening the fact that Jesus had been teaching about children. That subject had come up in the last several chapters. So they knew Jesus was interested in children. But it's also his miracles. Many of the miracles that Jesus has performed in, in this gospel uh, of Mark are about children. So they not only hear him, but they see him being of great interest. And then last Lord's Day, we also then dealt with the great freedom that parents today have, in particular, the freedom of fathers, taken from Ephesians chapter 4. 6 and from Colossians chapter 3 about the fact that fathers particularly are given that responsibility of training up their children 
And what a freedom it is and what a privilege it is that, that a father can speak to his children and, in a sense, bring them and introduce them to Jesus. And this becomes, then, the great responsibility that we've heard, again, here in baptism. This responsibility and the promises that Dave and Shelley made this morning that you have taken, many of you, for your children, that you will indeed do all within your power Make sure that they hear and are introduced to Jesus Christ. That he's not simply going to be, well, maybe they'll catch it. Maybe it'll be an osmosis type thing. But you will take an active role and responsibility in bringing your children to Jesus in that regard. And as I mentioned uh, in the baptism, that's the blessing of having uh, a couple like Dave and Shelley come forward with their children, where we see that being so consistently done and happening. But this morning then, from that freedom that we see in the parents, we move to the second part of the passage, which is the disciples rebuke them. Here were people, here were parents bringing their children to Jesus, to have Jesus bless them. <coughs> and the disciples, like some sort of guards or centuries, are saying, no, no, don't do that. Don't bother him. The disciples rebuke them. Why? Why did the disciples stop this from happening? In every one of the accounts that we have in Matthew, Luke, and here in Mark, the same thing is said. Parents bringing children to Jesus, the disciples stop them with a rebuke, with a rebuttal. They're not just folding their arms. They're basically saying, get your stroller out of here. Take your diaper bag and your snotty kid and move along. Why? Why are they taking such an action? Well, let me give you perhaps three reasons. One, Jesus doesn't need to be bothered with you. You are unimportant, and so are your children. Maybe that's the reason they did it. Maybe they were trying to guard Jesus' time. Maybe they thought uh, Jesus couldn't handle all the stress and strain of dealing with all of these children and all of these parents. So we better protect Jesus a little bit. We shouldn't have him be bothered. Maybe they thought there's more important stuff to be doing with Jesus' time. Jesus is a very important rabbi. He's a very important teacher. Uh, you know, there, there, there are books to be written, perhaps. There, there are sermons to be preached. Uh, there are lessons to be taught, but that's all adult stuff. We don't want think that your children and your request to have him bless them is important enough. Or maybe it's why are we bothering with kids? They can't contribute. What are kids going to do? What are kids going to do for our ministry here with Jesus? 
Only perhaps I have is a few coins. That's not going to get us anywhere. Probably don't even have that. They're probably going to be looking for lunch money. We're going to have less money to deal with. What are they going to contribute? How, how are they going to add to the ministry? What is their voice going to add? We don't know exactly what was in their heads. We do know what they did. They rebuked these parents. Get away. Move on. Stop it. Stop bothering Jesus. And while we may at times shake our heads at these disciples, perhaps sometimes we need to stop and think about ourselves. Oh, and I'm not thinking so much perhaps of little farms as I am the church in general, that we turn it into an adult thing and we leave no room for children. They don't come into play in terms of decisions. We, we make decisions without thinking, how does this impact our children? What will this decision mean for our children down the road 10, 20, 30 years? It may be a good decision for us as adults at this moment, at this time. This makes sense to us as adults, but what is the ramification of it for our kids now? Does the decision we make hinder them from being introduced to Jesus? May not be our intent, but is it a side effect of that which we do? Well, and why should we spend time dealing with what, what effect this has on kids anyway? Kids don't contribute to the ministry. In fact, there are some who might actually see it as a burden. Might actually see it as a problem. Wish we didn't have so many kids. Wish we had a church without so many children. We could do more other stuff. We have to be careful that that's not the message we are conveying. And sometimes that's the unintentional message that our children hear. And sometimes, perhaps like the disciples, it actually is intentional. They rebuked them. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew they were turning away children. This wasn't some decision they were making and, oh my, look what happened. The children left the church. We have no more children in our church. What happened? Well, maybe it's because you've been making decisions all along without contemplating them. Seriously. For the long haul, for the long run. The disciples certainly weren't. They rebuked the parents. But there is a second rebuke in the passage, isn't there? Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them. First thing I want you to note is the fact he was indignant. This is the only place in all of the New Testament that the Greek word translated indignant is used. 
This is not a common, ordinary response of Jesus or of anyone else in the New Testament. This falls in a special category. This is a word that the Holy Spirit reserved for this situation. See, you can, you can think about this, right? The Holy Spirit knows Matthew 1.1 all the way to Revelation 22 before it's written. It's not like the Holy Spirit is going, man, what's the next word I'm going to do? What's the next word I have to inspire? The Holy Spirit knew the whole thing before he wrote it. He's simply inspiring men to write what the Holy Spirit already desires to be conveyed. So think of all the situations throughout the whole New Testament in which the word indignant might have been used. I can think of one. There's many, but one comes to mind right away. That's the church of Laodicea. The letter to the church of Laodicea. Because you are neither hot nor cold, I spit you out of my mouth. Boy, what a perfect spot for the Holy Spirit to have inserted. He was indignant because they were neither hot nor cold. No, words not used there. How about when Peter deals with Simon Magus, the guy, the magician who wants to buy the powers of the Holy Spirit? What a great spot for Peter to have uttered He is indignant that Simon Magus would want to buy the Holy Spirit. No. The only place this word is used is here. Jesus was indignant with his disciples. He was much grieved by that which they were doing. This action of the disciples to keep children from coming to him arouses more grief in the heart of Jesus than any other circumstance he faces. This isn't just an afterthought. This isn't just Jesus, hey, come on, guys, come on. You know, get with the program a little bit. Catch up. Come on. Children are an important part of our ministry. He is indignant. He is grieved that those who are the representatives of his ministry are keeping children from Jesus, from him. He saw it, which means he's not there, which means he's not at the point of contact which means he's looking from a distance. He is perhaps teaching, he's talking, and in the background, he's watching, and the disciples keep turning away the strollers. And the strollers keep leaving the scene and situation, and Jesus is becoming indignant with their action. It is as if Jesus were saying, How dare you? How dare you keep a child from coming to me to be blessed by me? He is indignant 
And the actual reading of that which he says comes off in the Greek in the staccato. In other words, it actually reads something like this. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. He is emphatic with every single word that he states. In other words, guys, get this, get it clearly. Don't miss a word. I know you guys have trouble understanding what I'm saying sometimes. I know a lot of what I say goes right over your head. I know there are times when you miss the point. There are times when you come to me with questions that obviously shows you need some wax cleaned out of your ears. But you better listen to this. You better get this straight. Let the children come to me. It's interesting because our version here in the ESV says, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them. Some of the passages, I think it's the Matthew one, says he called to them. But when you even look up in the Greek, what happens here, even in this Mark 10, 14 passage, the word is, he summoned them. Remember what I told you about that form? That word summoned? Jesus summons us to renounce the world, the devil, flesh. Jesus summoned his disciples. You, are you starting to get the scene? Jesus is here teaching, observing what's going on in the background, sees the disciples turning them away, and he summons them. Come here. Now. This goes no further. I'm not going to tolerate this for another moment. He summons them. This is the idea of the king and all his authority. This is you better come and you better come right now. Growing up, probably many of us recognize that in our own parents' voice. We knew there was a time when, by the tone of that voice, I got three more calls coming before I'm really in trouble. But there's also that tone that said, I have no more graces. I got to be there and I got to be there now. I can still hear it. Robert! Yeah, that was about the time it was like, you have to come now. He summoned them. This needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with now. Do not forbid. Do not, as some versions have, hinder. That's an interesting term, isn't it? That's not just drawn out of the blue. Go back to Mark chapter 9. Verse 42, 
whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Remember how we dealt with this? To sin, to stumble, to fall, to hinder, to keep from. See, why is Jesus so indignant? Why, why is this such an emphasis? Why is he not letting this go on? Because to continue to let it go on means what? A millstone hung around the necks of his disciples. Because his disciples are now the active agents whereby children are going to be kept. See, we look at this verse, this section, and we go, yeah, bad theology. Better not be teaching any bad theology. Better be teaching the Bible correctly. Absolutely. That's what the passage implies. But Jesus is now interpreting the passage for us as well by saying, don't keep a child either from Jesus. Don't keep a child from being introduced to the blessing of Christ. Let that child fully and completely experience the presence of Christ. Do not forbid them. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Luke chapter 16, or Luke chapter 18, verse 16 tells us that these, many of these who were coming were infants, babies. What a blessing baptism is, right? As a sacrament of the church for babies, for infants. Oh, no, no, this is an adult thing. Kids, stay away. Babies, no, you, you don't get any of this water. Stay away from the water. And what did we do this morning? Bring them. Bring her. Bring Ada. Bring Ada. Let us introduce her to Jesus. Let Jesus put his name on her. See, this is why this is so important. This isn't some by thing that the church does. This isn't some secondary thing where it's like, well, if we do this or not, what does it matter? People have different views on it. How do you have different views on Jesus being indignant? Do not forbid them. Let them come. Let them come to know what cleansing is. Let them know what washing is. Let them know my name is upon them. Let them know that. Bring, bring, come. Line up the strollers, one after another. Come. Infants, do not hinder. Do not forbid. And the not, the not is is like this huge underscore of Jesus in this passage. It's like he's taking a marker and going underneath it, okay? You know how some of you, when you write notes, right? If you really want somebody to catch the word, what do you do? Underscore it or highlight it. That's what Jesus is doing. 
do not forbid them. For to such is the kingdom of God. So thirdly, let's look at Jesus' teaching here. Okay? What, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, one, let them come. Let them come. I love children. That's what Jesus is saying. Kids, what an amazing thing this is, isn't it? Think about this. Jesus is saying to you, I know you're a child. I know you're three, four, two. I know you're Ada. Six, seven, eight. I love you. I love you and I see you. I see you through all the adults that sometimes seem to get in the way. I see you. I love you. I care about you. And I want you to come to me. And here's an aspect of this that one commentator brought out. Because Jesus was one of these children at one time. Jesus didn't just drop out of the sky as a man. It goes all the way through the conception, all the way through being a one-month-old, a two-month-old, a six-month-old, a two-year-old, a four-year-old, a six-year-old. Why? Why do you suppose God in his amazing plan of our salvation, doesn't just drop Jesus as a man out of the sky at age 30. Have him minister for three years and then die on the cross. Why? Because it is a message to us that Jesus came for the children as well. Do you know when 80 5% of people give their lives to Jesus Christ between the age of 4 and 10. Do you know how many people give their life to Christ after age 30? 4%. Where do you think where do you think God is calling the church to minister? Well, the answer is everywhere. Of course everywhere. Of course the 4%. But when 85% are coming to know the Lord between the age of 4 and 10, no, Jesus don't have time for the kids. No. Go away. Turn around. Get out of here. This is not important. This is not a focus. There's other things far more important than the children. Understand the significance of that attitude. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, need to live up to the commitment that baptism calls of us. That we set an example of godly piety 
before these children. That we set an example of faithfulness before these children. This is your mission field, church. This is it. Yes, it extends to the world. But this is where God summons you. Do not forbid them. Do not hinder them. Do not be a stumbling block to them. Do not in any way seek to keep them from me. For to such is the kingdom of God. Unless you become like a child, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. Why? What does a child represent? A child represents one who is totally and completely dependent upon their parent. You cannot enter the kingdom of God until you understand that you are totally and completely dependent upon the Father's grace. Unless you become like a child, in your spiritual salvation, unless you understand you cannot feed yourself, unless you understand you cannot clothe yourself, unless you understand you can't even change your own dirty diaper without your parent. Spiritually, you can do nothing without God's grace. Why? Excuse me. That's not good for the new book. Why is Jesus so insistent here? Because this is not a matter of children. This is a principle of salvation going on. And the disciples are hindering that. This is a picture of grace. God's grace. Marvelous grace. Wonderful grace. Amazing grace. That we who are totally incapable of saving ourselves, we cannot offer one thing to the Father for our salvation. He does it all. Completely, fully, totally. For to such is the kingdom of God. But notice then, not only what he teaches, notice what he does. This isn't only words, my friends. Remember last Sunday what I told you these parents are coming for? These parents are coming to have the rabbi put his hands on their heads and bless them. Look at the passage. What does he do? Does he do only that which they expect? Read it. What does it say? And he took them in his arms. Jesus didn't just stop at the, yes, I'll put my hands. Yes, you, you get the blessing. He's bending down. Come on. Let me give you a big hug. He put his arms around them. He embraced them. Imagine these parents, they came for hand on top of the head. What did they get? They got arms around their child. 
around you? Any of the children? At their baptism, Jesus put his arms around them. Embrace them. And Jesus still has his arms around them. Even as he still has his arms around you. As children of the covenant. He embraces you. And then he blesses. And the word that is used here is best described as a joyful, fervent blessing. It's not just some words. It's not just, hey, have a nice day. Boy, I sure hope you have a good life, kid. Now, go back to your parents, everything, you know, listen to them, be a good boy. There, there is a fervency in Jesus. There is a joy and a delight in being able to embrace these children, those who come with childlike faith. That's what he does for you and me as adults, too. He speaks with joy and fervency of his love. I love you. And I desire to bless your life. May Jesus Christ be praised. And God's people say, what a word for our world, for the church, for adults. What a blessing this word is. What a challenge it is. And we pray, Father, we pray that as Jesus demonstrates in this passage so clearly, a fervency about children, that Lord, we too might see children as a problem, not as a difficulty, not as an obstacle to be kept from you, but that we might rush to bring our children to you. Thank you for Dave and Shelley bringing Ada this morning. Thank you for the church loving Ada. May we, Father, be faithful in this call to the children of our congregation, to the children you have blessed us with, Oh, Father, may we be ever thankful for the grace, the grace that you as our Father give to us as helpless, dependent children. And we're so grateful that your word says that nothing can take us from your hand and from your embrace. You'll love us today, tomorrow, and you'll love us 
for all eternity in spite of ourselves. God's people say, Amen.